hundred years. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta get it done. No time for fun now. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta move. Stories that need to be told. Mike Young. Kicking it. Stock tip Dave in the corner. We brought Alexis in to help out with social media. We need help, but we're having a great time. We got guests with millions of followers, and right now we got 58 people talking to us. It's a pretty incredible medium. I'm trying to, we're learning as we go. We're learning the whole landscape as we go. I personally have never been a good social media person. I just haven't. I've, I was born technically deficient. I was. I feel like my skin has like an electrical current that affects computers and things. They they go. They shut down when I touch them. It's never been the squeeze has never been worth the juice to me, and I feel like I'm getting into like the social media game a little late. But we're gonna play catch up and we're gonna go crazy fast. Like it's gonna skyrocket for us, just because we're gonna get as many people with a ton of followers. I'm I'm not into it. Like the, like the follower thing trips me out. You know what I mean? Like I'm still having a hard time believing that like, you know, you got a million followers. You're, you're talented. Like you can star in a movie. The whole thing trips me out. You know what I mean? Like I've I've been hired to write for like some social media stars, whatever. Like people that have like five, seven million followers. And they're like funny on Instagram for 30 seconds, right? They're funny for a minute. And they brought me in to write a TV show for like an Instagram star and I'm not going to say her name. She is super cool, super funny, but you're not Lucille Ball. You know what I mean? Like you got to be able to hold, it's like stand up comedy. If you got four minutes of comedy, you ain't in the game. But if you got an hour of comedy and you're a badass, you're in the game. You know what I mean? Like all these guys that we're looking at on the wall, Bill Burr, Brody, Kreischer, Ari, Bobby Lee. I mean, these guys have been in the game for 20-some years, yeah. killing it at a high level. And now it's like if you just get a million people to follow you somehow, and by the way, you might be able to like trick it. I don't know. There might be like some trick, some app that gets you to people to follow you. But fake you, users. Fake, fake followers. There's fake followers all over the place. Yeah. So my whole life, my whole philosophy is... Be dope at what you're doing, and then let's see what happens. Don't put the followers before the horse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't don't call me and say I got ninety thousand followers. Well, what do you do? Are you just a hot chick that just you know with a great stomach that just like you know what I mean? An amazing yeah. ass that takes pictures on a boat in Brazil. I know I've you got a hundred thousand followers. What do what do you do? And then once you got that follow, like then who do you call? How do you get paid? Who's paying you? So the minimum amount to get paid, I believe, is 50,000 followers. We're so close. We've actually gotten three followers since the start of this podcast. We only need 49,950 to go. Like, I've just gotten all these notifications. We've got a few more. But the actual handle is I had to shorten it so people could actually, you know, see it on Instagram. It's stories that need to be told. But it's the number two and then the letter B, told. Stories that need to be told. The number two. All right, that's good. We gave a shout out to our own, to our title. And just we're learning everything. Yo, so on the way here, I came across, you know, I should have really, if I could reverse time, I would have gotten on the board of the social media world. I just would have. People would know more. It's like, 
no one knows that the White Boy Rick movie coming out in September and the documentary that right now is number one on iTunes, nobody has any idea that I'm basically responsible for a movement that took place in Detroit to help get him paroled out of prison. Nobody also knows that White Boy Rick calls me on a daily basis because I'm going to be doing the book on his life. I don't even know. I don't tell anybody. Like sometimes when I go to the comedy store and I'll like have a conversation, people are like, yo, why don't you tell anybody? Like, what am I going to do? Go to the comedy store? I'm like, yo, free White Boy Rick. Like, (laughs) I don't, I don't know, man. It's not that I'm being humble, weird. I'm just like, I don't, I like to talk about everyday stuff. You know what I mean? Alexis comes in. She's got boy situations going on. Those are the things I talk about. Stock tip, Dave, you drank a little heavy last night. You got foggy like me post-vertigo. I like to talk about things like that. I'm not a bragging type of dude, but I just believe that people will find out what I'm doing somehow, yeah. even if it's not post. You, you, you post for me. Like, I can't, like No one believed that I was ever in a rap group. When I came to L.A., I was first in... I was in a rap group called Doc's House Mob. We played the House of Blues. We played all over the place. We were an well, eight-piece funk band, bro. We were badass. And I just found I just found an old song, and I'm going to play it. We should. No, I'm going to play it right now. This is an old song called, called Motown Party. And this is me 20 years ago. And AMG, the actual the rapper who did the song Bitch Better Have My Money, Bitch better have my money. The real song, he was my producer. I was in the studio with DJ Quick. So I'm going to play. Wow. I'm not going to play the whole song. I'll play half of it. Check it. This is Mike Young. Known back then as Young Mike. Check it. The, tell me I don't have skills. I mean, you don't know what I was doing. Check this out. I was, I was fire. Check it. About to get up out of here. Now let me see you get the hands up in the atmosphere. You won't believe your eyes. Honey's with the finest eyes. Better hurry up inside. We're waiting just to get you high. Roll deep, get you out of your seat. And bob your dome to the beat of a track. Grab a freak. Hell of a pleasure. One time funk endeavor. The last forever. See, yo, it's now or never. Ladies, make the move on. Fellas, get your groove on. You get it on till we see the break of dawn. The hopes to the century is making a toast. Live ass freaks from the coast to coast. Coming round town, blowing up phone sounds. We're handing out beat downs to all out of order clowns. Astounded, you were surrounded by my folks. So good, you can't believe that I found it. I mean, come on. This thing still holds up. I'm gonna let it one more verse and then we're gonna kill it. See, I got my own theory. Check it. I'm breaking rules and I'm shaking fools off. Cops at the door, tell them all to get lost. Ha. I got immunity, folk originality. Tell them to check the neighbors, there must be some formality. We got strippers and players of all kinds. <laughs> B-boy blunt smoking ex-criminal minds. Honey's addressed to the nines and stay fine. Freaks without cold bodies, so get in line. We're all chilling in the same room with the same tune. Drinking brews or you're hitting the boom. Tip your cup, smoke up, the revolution has arrived And let the folk get you high I wanna see Hennessy holding honeys on the floor I know you wanna play, baby, play a little more Explore the very needs of the man in front of ya Get up and get down, I'm doing each and every one of ya I mean, say what you want about Mike Young being a Jew from Detroit But I mean, see I think it was this What do you think? I mean that was a good song 20 years ago 
She hated it. No, I, I think I think you're a, a van- victim of uh, Vanilla Ice at the time because you're in between Vanilla Ice and Eminem. Dave, I love the theory. I love the thought. I love the philosophy. I was a straight gangster coming out of Detroit. I was I was recording songs on Crenshaw and 70 sec- 72nd Avenue, 72nd Street in South Central. And I th- no, I don't want to say that that's South Central. I think it's uh, Englewood or I don't know what neighborhood it was. But I was like unschooled as to where I was. You know what I mean? I was fresh out of Michigan. I came out. I came out. I was in the studio. I walked in the studio. Boom! There's DJ Quick, legend. DJ Quick is like Dre, Dr. Dre Jr. Like he can do beats as good as Dr. Dre. He is on everybody's. Everybody knows that DJ Quick is like a mastermind behind the scenes. He's another like real humble dude. He had a few hits on his own, but he's the guy that like just likes to be in the studio. And there was some hardcore gangster shit happening when I was down there. And they were a blue neighborhood, right? So they were a crip neighborhood. I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about anything except I was in the studio doing music. I was a little they were like, "Yo, we need to get I was, I was like Rocky. They're like, "Yo, we need to get you in shape. We're going to make an album. You're going to come out." Meanwhile, AMG took so long to make one damn beat. I, I got frustrated and I quit. But long story short, uh, we go down to the studio one day and it's during the uh, d- during hockey playoffs. True story. The Red Wings are in the playoffs. They're killing it. And I'm a Red Wing fan. So I go down to a Crip neighborhood in an all red sweatsuit. Oh no. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just thinking my team is in the playoffs. I basically drive down to the studio. I get out of my car. I am in a full-blown red sweatsuit that looks like (laughs) Suge Knight just got out and he wants to talk to somebody. I look like a Christmas tree. And all of a sudden, I get out of my car and I hear like, yo, yo, from different angles. It's like, motherfucker, break yourself. Get down. I'm like, yo, yo, what's, what's going on? I look up at the at the studio front door and it's like AMG, my friend and a couple other dudes who I knew from the studio. They're like, "Yo, get you know, get in here, get that shirt off, get those sweats off, take this shirt, don't ever wear red in here again, don't ever come here again like that." And I was like, like I literally, I thought it was over for me. It sounded like they were about to just, it was done. But that's how serious they take their shit over there. And one, one other time, we're on the front lawn of the studio. We're just hanging out. And by the way, I'm in the mix. I'm like going to the liquor store. I'm coming back with 40s. There's like little like like hood hotties in there, like little fine little you know black and Mexican girls from like from Inglewood. And I'm I'm like I'll marry that girl. You know what I mean? I don't care if she works over at the dime store. And we're over there, and all of a sudden, a car is creeping down the street with no lights. Bro, I swear to God, everyone goes, drive by. Boom, we dive behind a giant tree. And it wasn't a drive by. It was just some dummy driving without their lights on. But like, you know. It sounds like that scene from Friday. I've seen some things. I've seen some things. Unfortunately, things actually did get heavy in the studio when when I was done there. And it was very sad. But like somebody got shot in the studio, like at the studio. And it got really serious, and like I did not go back there for a while, but like it was a different world, man. And like, and we and we played. This is one funny story. Me, DJ Quick, AMG, the singer Domino, who like had hits back in the day, and this other rapper, I forgot his name. This other this other rap dude, 
we were playing like dodgeball in the backyard, but they didn't know that I was like an athlete. You know what I mean? They didn't know I could throw 70 miles an hour when I first got out here. And we were playing dodgeball. We were playing a weird like hood game. It was with a basketball and we were in a circle throwing the ball back and forth at each other like to see who, you know, would not who couldn't catch the ball. It was like just like a simple game. And I faked it over at quick and I threw it to the left at AMG and I knocked him out. He, I hit him in the stomach and he was laid out. So, Felt you know, flat on the ground. The many lives of Mike Young. Before I was Mike Young, bro, I was Young Mike and I'm trying to It's funny because I'm try, I want to do a comedy bit about how everybody's two people. Right? Like, everyone's two people. I am Mike Young. I'm a nice person. My family raised me beautiful. My bar mitzvah, the whole thing. You know what I mean? But I'm also Young Mike. I was breaking into houses. I was <laughs> doing things in my teenage years that were very bad, and karma was coming quick. And I'm trying to, th- I can't find the, f- I haven't found the funny in the bit yet. I don't know what, I, I, I got to find the funny, but like, I do want to do a thing like, Mike Young will do this. But young Mike will do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Mike Young dated your daughter and had a great time. Young Mike slept with your daughter in a Honda Accord. I don't know what the, I don't know what the <laughs> funny is. I'll find it. But point is, I lived a life of of hip hop and like hardcore shit for a minute. And I'm not trying to say I came from hardcore. I did grow up shoveling scrap metal on Eight Mile in a dump truck daily with my dad and i did have a a very blue collar upbringing raised in a super mixed neighborhood where to me it was like the greatest thing ever full diversity black white jew christian rock and roll punk rock like we had everything in our like my school was like that movie dazed and confused you know what i mean like we had everything in the school there were break dancers and kids pitching quarters in that corner, and there was like white trash dudes, like the type of white trash that you saw like in the movie Outsiders. You know what I mean? Like jean jacket, gun in jean jacket. If something goes down, there's a there's a there's a war. But the weird thing is, is when you're in the middle of of living like with all different people, you're not thinking about like racist bullshit. You're not like there was no it was all love. It was like we had the greatest parties. You know what I mean? Our parties were like, yo, you come, bring the hip hop, bring the rock and roll, bring the burnouts, bring the jocks. Let's let's mix it up. Let's see what happens. And I think, you know, it's funny because we're like in this such a weird whatever. I don't get political, but we are in such a weird world right now that like everything is feels segregated. This group is mad at this group. You know, and I was just like, I was lucky, bro. Like Detroit, Southfield, Michigan was like the coolest place to grow up. And it's like on my plate of, and I know the next film that we're doing, I'm not directing, but like the one I wrote, I think it's going to happen with Lionsgate. Knock on wood, it's all going to be a beautiful thing, but it's about the garment district in New York. Point is, after that, I want to do like a Southfield movie, like my own Dazed and Confused. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm going to have to, fund it with it's going to be so independent that i'm going to just pay for it myself and (laughs) it'll be a twenty thousand dollar movie it's one of those movies i have to tell that story it is a story southfield michigan is a story that absolutely needs to be told and that's why i went into the into hip-hop because what happened was in seventh grade seventh grade there was a, a, I don't know if it was like a local law, whatever it was, the kids from the inner city of Detroit could get bused to your public school. So all of a sudden, seventh grade, boom, the landscape changed. You know what I mean? So it was like 
predominantly, you know, white, Jewish, Middle Eastern for a minute, and then boom, the black kids from Detroit got bussed into our school. And it was just like this beautiful explosion of fun, culture, mix, diversity. And you could feel like, you know, the kids weren't really feeling, at least in my area, my neighborhood, the kids weren't feeling uh, segregation, racism. But you knew the parents who were not down. You know what I mean? Like I'd go to like some white chick whose dad was a redneck. I'd be getting with his daughter somewhere and I could, you know, whenever you see like a deer, a moose, another deer and two shotguns in the corner, you know where you're at. You know what I mean? And believe me, her dad didn't like Jews, me, just as much as he didn't like black people. You could feel that. You I know? believe it because I actually watched a documentary about Chris Webber because he actually was one of those people you're talking about. He's from he, Southfield. He, yeah, he went to school where I'm talking about. Yeah, and he got bust there, and, and he actually took a lot of flack because I guess he was one of the few black people at the white school yeah. he went to, and obviously he you know destroyed it in basketball, and that's why he went there. But he was part of what, exactly what you were just talking about. Yeah, well, he was exactly. He got bust in from Detroit, so Chris Webber had a fully mixed upbringing. He was at Country Day School where you had to play a sport there. And they basically were like they were like a stacked all star squad of everything. Like they yeah. wanted my brother actually to go play baseball there. My godfather was the coach. He co- he coached football and baseball there. But yeah, Country Day was one of those schools. So Chris Weber must have felt really weird because he was coming from a from the he was coming from the hood, and he ended up going to a place where like you have a campus. You know what I mean? Literally, there's a campus. It's like a multi-million dollar situation at Country Day School. And one of his old roommate's friends was the mayor of Detroit, Dennis Archer, his son, who I actually just had a meeting with a couple weeks ago. I had Vince Archer, is the son of Mayor Dennis Archer, and he was part of this whole group of like black entrepreneurs in New York City when he left Detroit. That was like the pre-Puffy days. Who They were throwing parties. And they became like, because of his dad's political connections, they started throwing parties for like Bill Clinton, like fundraisers. And it's it's this crazy story of like this amazing group of like misfit dudes, uh, you know, black kids mostly, that like were the original like party throwers and like publicity dudes back in the day. And he sent it to me and he actually called me the other day and he's like, yo, can we do anything with this? And we definitely can. I just, you know, Vince, if you're listening, it's going to take a minute. (laughs) it's going to take a minute. I'm sorry I haven't gotten it to Jamie Foxx or whoever's going to look at it, but I sent it to a couple people, but things take time. But it is one of those great stories that I do want to tell eventually, and I'll get him on here because being the son of a mayor of Detroit has got to be a heavy thing, especially Detroit, because his dad was like an awesome dude. His dad was not corrupt, and I think what drove his dad to not want to be mayor again was because... The corrupt parts were coming at him, and he didn't want anything to do with it. Whereas the white boy Rick era in the 80s, when Mayor Coleman Young was the mayor, dirty. Everything was, bro, <laughs> the whole city ran on bags of cash. You know who, what I mean? Who's the mayor that bankrupt Detroit? Kwame Kilpatrick, who oddly enough, Rick what did time with. So Kwame Kilpatrick went to federal prison. He got 20 years. And... This is how crazy his ego was. He was the mayor of Detroit. He had a chance to turn the city around in the most positive way. People loved him. But his ego got so damn crazy that he literally, in his mind, he would he wanted to be a rapper. He was like, he thought he was 50 Cent. He thought he was a gangster. Meanwhile, his parent, he grew up well-to-do. 
His dad was like a judge. His mom was like federal prosecutor. Pro, I don't. I forgot what she was. I don't want to misspeak, but she might have been like a federal prosecutor, attorney. She was something big. He did not grow up hood the way he the way he portrayed, and he got to be mayor, and he messed up the whole damn city, straight up because of his ego. And when Rick saw when he walked into prison and he met Rick. Obviously, he knew about Rick because Rick's a famous prisoner, and he's from Detroit. But Rick was like, yo, bro, this dude doesn't even understand what he did. Like, in his mind, he thinks he's still, in his mind, he thinks he still, like, did okay. He thought it was okay to give his boys the jobs on the yeah. contracts and the construction sites and, you know, and, like, give everything to his friends, you know, for a cost and take a kickback. It was just a disaster. But... You know, that's that's Detroit for you. And you can feel the mentality, you know? What are you going to say, Dave? You're chomping at the bit. No, no, I just... We're going to talk about the social issue that you have. But but, but go ahead. What are you going to say? <laughs> no, because no, I feel like uh, Detroit's had a history of, like, corrupt mayors because, like, after the one you guys talked about, didn't one just resign because he was doing, like, drugs or something? No, that's that's or, Washington, D.C. That's Mayor, Mayor Barry. He was smoking crack. That's the mayor of Washington, D.C. Don't get him mixed up. Look up your stuff before you ever do that again. But that's that's the mayor of D.C. was smoking crack. No mayor of Detroit was smoking crack. They were selling crack, but they weren't smoking it. <laughs> but if you look up – so anyway, this is a good transition because the, the White Boy Rick movie comes out in September. Right now, the iTunes documentary that got this whole movement going is number one. It was released two days ago on iTunes. It's number one on iTunes. And – you know, it's a it's a catch twenty two because Rick he's been paroled out of Michigan. He's gonna do he has to do two more years in Florida. We're trying to get him out right now. But the sad thing is, is that they use this kid, man. The politicians, the people of power, the political influencers, bro. They just use this kid like a nothing pawn and put his ass in prison for two uh, for for they gave him life without parole. Okay. The guy that was hired to kill him, Nate Boone Craft, the guy that actually admitted to 30 murders and that admitted to he's walking around free. He's on the documentary. He's like, yo, free, free this kid already. You know what I mean? Now, what I will say, and I don't think Matthew McConaughey's listening to my podcast yet, but I will get at him at some point because right now he's on the press tour for the movie. And what I would say to Matthew McConaughey is, I know you're a superstar, bro, and I know you're the man, and I know you got to say what you got to say and whatever, whatever. But like, when you're on your talk show, give Rick a minute to you, give him a minute of your time and go, we need to get this dude out of jail. Enough is enough. Life sentence. He's done 30 years already without the chance of parole. He's done his time. Get him out. Just because you, believe it or not, these judges, these parole people, these me- these these governors, they like celebrity shit, man. Everybody likes celebrity shit. They should all be trying to get him out. They should all be trying to get him out. Like if if Trump's gonna go and pardon Blagdanovich or whatever whatever his name is, the corrupt guy from Chicago, and you're gonna go really, you know, you're gonna go pardon the girl from who's friends with Kardashian. And by the way, which you should, she shouldn't be in there for a nonviolent drug offense. The prison game is a racket. It's a racket. It is a money-making, multi-billion-dollar racket. And the more you dig into it and the more you really learn about it, the sadder it is because they make money on every prisoner that's there. So the prison system, they want, you, they want it packed. They want it filled. 
Why? Because they can feed you, and now the food company's getting money. They can clothe you. That clothing company's getting money. They can use prisoners for no money to be your... Basically, it's almost like a slavery shit, man. It's like these prisoners, they take them out. They don't pay them. They pay them, what, 80 cents. There's no minimum wage in prison. So you can go use 100 prisoners to clean up your shit in front of your building, and it didn't cost a dime. It's, it's, it's bananas, man. And like, listen, stories that need to be told, our podcast, we are not going to change the laws, but the more you read about it, the more you see it, and the more I get to know people that are locked up and going through it, the more you go, what are we doing, man? It's like, I think the, I think it's like six, I want to say like 6% of criminals commit 60, 60% of the crime. I don't know. There's some crazy stat. It's basically like, if you're, if you're, if you're not a, if you're not a violent danger to society, sociopathic person, it, it just, you don't need to be, check the time you're doing. How much time do you need to do? We exactly. give the longest sentences of any country on planet earth, you know? And it's, it's too bad, man, because, you know, you talk, I, when I talk to Rick and he might, you know, you never know, he might call in, he calls at weird times, but when you talk to him, he is like, he's like even keeled, man, because he's just, can, he's institutionalized. So like at first when I started talking to him, I thought like my comedy would be a good icebreaker. I thought I'd funny. I'll make a prisoner laugh. He wasn't getting a lot of laughs. You know what I mean? He wasn't really busting up at my jokes. So I was like, all right, let me take my comedy shit down a notch. And let me just like, let me just get real here with the dude. Because I'm going to do this book and forget the jokes because he's not in a joking mood and it's interesting because he calls and i can hear him like he's on in the phone line the line for the phone and he must be a shot caller at this point you know like or he's just a kind of you know he's been he's done enough time to where he's got seniority so i hear him in line he's like yo 305 you're next detroit you're next yo uh cincinnati (laughs) you go after him you know what i mean he's like yo what's up and he comes right back to the phone so it's an interesting thing but you know the whole, I think the whole thing just gave me vertigo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I have been complaining. I'm, I'm transitioning out. You know how I feel about the the whole system about getting you know the thing with Rick. We talked about it, um, but I told you that I had, I had to talk about vertigo today. Yeah, absolutely. I got to talk about vertigo. I don't want to bring it up again after this, but I have to talk about it because two weeks ago, on a Saturday morning, I woke. I had had a, I have not had a drink of alcohol in six months. I had my first drink of tequila on a Friday night two weeks ago. I ate a bunch of terrible shit. I was probably dehydrated. I woke up. I spun out of bed quick. I popped up. Vertigo hit me. That was the part I left out to most people that I drank the night before for the first time in six months. So vertigo kicks in. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happening. The room is spinning. I'm spiraling out of control. I sit down. I relax. It goes away in 10 seconds. And the whole day, I feel fine. I'm fine the whole day, right? So I'm fine. So then the night comes. I do two shows at the comedy store. I'm a little nervous doing my shows because it was like I was anxious. And then, excuse me, then I went to bed. I woke up again. I had a little bit of vertigo, but like half of what I had the first time. So I am a hypochondriac Jew. That is what I am. And I call everyone I have ever met that's been to med school. I call every doctor. I called Stock Tip Dave's dad, who is a radiologist. He doesn't do vertigo. He's a, he's a radiologist. 
But I figure if you're smart enough to be a radiologist, vertigo is like it's on it's like down here. You yeah. did that day one. So I called your dad. I called my cousin. I called my uncle. I called my friend who's a chiropractor. I walked out of my building and I saw people on their way to work at Cedar Sinai in lab coats. I stopped them at the coffee shop. I stopped a girl who I thought was a nurse. Turns out she's a doctor. Everybody has told me the same damn thing. It goes away on its own. Do I believe everybody who's been to a thousand years of med school? Of course not. I got to go to a specialist. So I go to the ENT and I'm like, man, I had vertigo. He's like, oh yeah, I'll fix it. This dude puts these glasses on me, these goggles. He whips me down on the ground backwards, spins me into vertigo. He looks in my eyes. He's like, oh, you got a bad case of vertigo. We're going to have to do this a bunch of times. Picks me up, turns me around, whips me down. It's all these positional things you have to do to get the crystals in your ear to go back. Long story short, if I would have just let, if I would have just let this damn thing go, I would probably never be foggy right now. Yeah. But I'm going on one week of pure fogginess, and like now I don't know is it fo- am I foggy or am I anxious? Am I having anxiety or am I involved in a in an epoly? An epoly maneuver fog. So think of, like they, most people say it lasts is two to three weeks. So you're like halfway through it. So I'm guessing by this time next week you'll be done. Wait, people say that the uh, the the fogginess. Well, because you said it's been a week, and then even when you talk to my friend who actually called in on the show, yeah, he, he usually um two weeks you're good. Okay. And by the way, I feel fine. I'm just a compl- I'm a six two, hundred and ninety pound athlete. I think who's never played professional sports, but I'm a men's league <laughs> all star. I should not be complaining about my vertigo this much. Bobby Lee had vertigo. He was on the top of a mountain climbing Runyon Canyon. He had vertigo. He couldn't get down. They had to send a truck up to get him. I go, yo, what did the doctor say? He goes, I didn't go to the doctor, bro. I just got dizzy. <laughs> he didn't even go to the doctor. You know what I mean? Most people don't do what I'm doing. So now I'm like, I called a psychiatrist. I was like, all right, I need to go to a psychiatrist because why am I spending two weeks out of my life talking about this stupid thing that happens to a millions of people and it happened for 10 seconds of my whole life. It was a 10 second episode that has consumed me for two weeks. And when I tell you that I literally was going to get to the gas station and I live near Cedar Sinai and I saw a woman in nurse scrubs and I said, hey, are you a nurse? She goes, no, I'm a doctor. I was like, ah, amazing. You know anything about vertigo? She goes, yeah, it goes away on its own. Or you can get the epoly maneuver that shakes up the crystals in your head and that will put you in a fog, but you'll be fine. My question is, why do they even have this epoly maneuver if everyone just ends up fine from vertigo? Who wants to be foggy when they could have just been having that? But, but, but this is something else I didn't tell you today, Dave. On my way back from getting coffee this morning, I stopped in a chiropractor office. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, I stopped in a new gym near the building, a chiropractor's place. I walked in. I said, oh, what? Just, I kind of played it off. I was like, you guys a personal training facility or what do you guys do? She's like, oh, we're a chiropractor and a training place. She's like, I'm the chiropractor for the UFC. Oh, so you must have dealt with vertigo before. I mean, these guys, they, everyone's been kicked in the head. <laughs> she goes, actually, I've dealt with vertigo, but not with my UFC guys. They're, they haven't had I'm like, UFC hasn't had it, but I've had it. Long story short, she said the same thing. The epoly maneuver gets you fixed, whereas if I didn't do this, there was a chance that I would have had vertigo again in the morning laying down. So I'm fixing it, 
but I need to get to my deeper issue, which is hypochondria. What is wrong with me? Why am I continuously bringing this up? And uh, my dad was a hypochondriac, but my dad died when he at 47 years old also. So I'm like, was he a hypochondriac or was he a psychic? Yeah. You know what I mean? Did he give himself something? No, no, he didn't. But like the point is, hypochondria is real. I got to get over it because I was feeling so damn good before all this. Didn't you say, um, when we were at the comedy store last week, like, didn't something trigger it? Like, you were feeling fine, and then someone, like, shook you from behind, and you were, like, got vertigo, like, for a split second? No, Bobby Lee walked up on me, so this is part of my anxiety, which is for real. Like, so, you know my story, you know, I was I was beat up years ago. I was, yeah. I was jumped, you know, it was a very bad situation, but I was, I was, years ago, I was jumped. There were guns involved. It was a traumatic experience. The truth is, I never got it taken care of. I never went and talked to, to anybody about it. I had a post—I have post-traumatic stress disorder for sure. For the last some years, I—if I see a person with a shaved head walking by, I think that they're here and that I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm on a hit list and they're coming <laughs> to get me. It's heavy shit, bro. You don't want this. When I pull in my driveway, if there's a car behind me, I—I I look at the car. I look at the dude. I'm like, what's what's up? I'm making things up in my head about what people are coming to do to me so i gotta go talk about this and i gotta get this off my chest and i gotta go see a professional about this because i call i talk to a psychiatrist they're like yo you need to actually talk to somebody who deals with post-traumatic stress disorder and this didn't bring on my vertigo my vertigo came on because of dehydration you know what i mean i drank tequila like a dummy the night before i shocked my system i woke up crazy fast when i say fast i i don't usually wake up fast for some reason, this morning, I spun in my bed. I, like, spun. And I got up, and that was it. I had vertigo. But the post-traumatic stress disorder is has been lingering for years. So maybe our next guest needs to be a psychiatrist. Do we have any friends that are psychiatrists that want to talk? Because I'll, I'll call them right now. And But what happened was I was at the comedy store. I'm on the patio. I feel somebody go put me, like, in a wrestling hold. And... I whip out of it real quick without moving my head because I'm scared of vertigo. I turn around and it's Bobby Lee just playing around. But prior to that, I think you you had said to me there was just like a oh no you didn't Stevie Gutman was there with me, and and like a fight was it, a fight happened at the comedy store, and so in my mind I'm like oh maybe this is another guy from the fight and now he won yeah, he's got a problem I didn't know who he was. Bottom line is I've got a fear I've got to get rid of it, and I'm working on it. But it is truly post-traumatic stress disorder and i'm doing my best like i would i would even call my doctor right now he just texted me sorry can't out of town would love to in the future doctors don't want to come on here they're scared to give advice because they're afraid of what's going to happen yeah my dad said the same thing he's like i'll give you medical advice but not on the podcast right i call stock tips dave dad on the way here i grilled him about everything meanwhile you know who mostly has vertigo women in their 70s that's the biggest (laughs) That's the biggest demo for vertigo. Everyone I talk to, they go, yo, my mom has it. My mom has it. Yeah, my mom had it too. Apparently, I didn't know. Yeah, your mom has it. <laughs> she goes right about her day. Your mom, she's so tough. She's like, she gets her vertigo and she goes to her exercise class. <laughs> Meanwhile, I get vertigo. I'm half crying. I'm seeing psychiatrists. I'm stopping off in offices. This is, this is good therapy for me. I got I to gotta fix it. I don't know. Last night, last night we looked at, uh, we, were, we were watching the game. Me, you, Kevin, our little goal crew. So we've been dying for goal to get back open, right? 
I've talked about it on here before. Goal is our neighborhood sports bar that has not been open for now five, six months, right? And we miss it. And yeah. we're, we're like a band of thieves that don't know where to go. <laughs> so now like seven of us are at the third stop. Seven of us are watching a game at Riley's. All of us, we're like a traveling band of lost kids. No one knows where to go. Kev, open the dance. Let's get it going. I'll run it. I'll run the whole. I don't care. I'll quit everything and run a bar. I'll be the <laughs> Sam Malone. I, we, we, we need goal to open because no one knows where to go. But last night we watched the Cavs game. Travesty of a game. What's so funny over there? Come up here. I want you to come up here. Alexis Grossman is going to help us with our social media. She's a hilarious, talented, young comedian. So nice. Even though I've never seen you do stand up, yeah, you've never seen. I've never seen your comedy, but you know what? You get str- you get street cred with me. Maybe I'm just too nice, but like I don't know your stand up. I've never seen it, but you're funny in the streets. Oh, okay. so that, a lot of people actually say that to me. They're like, I've never seen you, but I can't imagine you being like bad. If you can bring your persona, the way you are funny and sarcastic, and like with your little witticisms and your like delayed funny, almost like a like a spoiled kid response, the way you do funny things. Because I think you are probably like a, a spoiled kid, but like an adorable spoiled kid. <laughs> you know I mean you're like spoiled, but we can't hate you. You know. Like she's this is this is like a girl I could like look at the jacket. That's not the ja- that's not the jacket of a struggler. You know what I mean? That's not someone struggling. That's like someone who's going to be able to like work on their craft for years if they have a job. No, I have real- like a real day job. I work. What is it? See, listen to the the drawl at the end of the voice. I work. That's not the voice. That's not the voice of someone that works hard. I'm sorry. You would cut that off the tail really end. Hard. Yeah. Where? I nanny. Okay, I nanny. I nanny. Kirk Fox just had a bit. He goes, you know what the hardest part about yeah, marriage yeah, yeah. is? Yeah, not sleeping with a nanny. Anyway, that's a good oh. bit. Uh, what were you going to say, Dave? No, no, you were talking about the Cavs game. You want to talk about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got off track. So we watched the Cavs game. Now, this is another Mike Young humble brag that nobody, that I, that no one really knows about because I just don't go to the, I don't, the only place I go to hang out is the comedy store. I just don't tell people. I wrote a movie called Grounded. They shot the movie. It stars Aaron Paul and Jeff Daniels. The movie has not come out yet. It got caught up in some litigation, a lawsuit situation. But the bottom line is the movie was produced by Dan Gilbert. Dan financed the movie. Dan Gilbert owns the Cleveland Cavaliers. Through the movie process, and he's also a Detroiter, through that process, he and I became good friends. And he's one of the coolest dudes. And I always... I always hate when I see like comedians or people like dog out wealthy people just out of just blindly. You know what I mean? Like you can't just dog out somebody because they busted their ass. They were disciplined. They were smart. They worked their ass off. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go shit on Bernie Madoff? Fuck Bernie Madoff. I'll fucking drop him in the ocean. You, but you, but some of these people, a lot of these people, most of these people who are billionaires, multimillion, most of them have worked their ass off or come up with an amazing idea, put a thousand people to work under them, brought them up, and they've built something. Dan Gilbert is one of those people. He's got five, six, seven thousand employees at Quicken Loans. He owns a hundred other companies. He is a little mini, like a little Wizard of Oz type dude. And you, you only have to spend like an hour with him to know that this is a guy whose brain is on another level than yours, like than ours. Like he just 
He has a math brain going, like where he understands math percentages. He's breaking shit down within two seconds. But he's also got street common sense, which is a very rare thing for like businessmen who are uber wealthy. Point being, Dan, Dan financed this movie. And we met when I, he, it was actually an idea that came from him, from his camp. They found me in L.A. because I was a, D- a Detroiter and a writer, and we had similar backgrounds. They said, yo, you're, you might be the guy to write this movie. I fly to Detroit years ago. I meet with Dan Gilbert at the Quicken Loans offices. It's just me and him in a big conference room. And the movie is about it's, – it's a dark comedy. and It's based on a true story. This God rest his soul, Adam Niskar, who passed away last year. It was based on his life. He was quadriplegic. And he had this accident after being a wild maniac. He was a wild kid. He had this tragic accident, and he wrote a journal about his life after the accident. And in the journal, he talks about how he's trying to get better, but everybody around him is a disaster. And it's one of the funniest, saddest things I ever read. So when I read it, I said, oh, this is Little Miss Sunshine in a wheelchair. This is fucking genius. I want to write this movie. Flew to Detroit, met with Dan. We had a two-hour conversation about how I saw the movie playing out. And like a gentleman, no business bullshit, he just stood up, shook my hand. He goes, you got the job. I'll call your lawyer tomorrow. And it was just like that. Next day, he called my lawyer. They made the deal. I was writing the movie. But after he said, you got the job, he also goes, yo, my plane is leaving for Los Angeles. Oh, no, for Seattle in two days. Come to our game. The Cavs are playing Seattle. Uh, yeah, was Seattle – is there even a Seattle team anymore? Not since know. 2008. Okay, so you this, throw that off the top of your head? Just because I, I know everything about sports and numbers. Yeah, stock tip Dave, doc tip Dave, sport tip Dave. He knows a lot about a weird he, – he knows crazy sports – Kevin Durant was the last official draft pick of the Sonics. Maybe it was Westbrook, and then they moved. Because as soon as they got Westbrook, they moved from Seattle to Oklahoma. Okay. So Dan's like, yo, we're going to Seattle to go to the game. Come with us. And then we're going to go play the Clippers. Hop on my plane. I'll drop you off in L.A. So I basically, my Uber was a G4. So I, two days later, I was on a G4, G5 airplane, jet. That I I had been on them before, like with Jesse Itzler from you know my boy Jesse, who just his new book just came out. But Jesse was co-founder of Marquee Jet, and they're a huge private jet company, so I would get rides with them. But I go on the plane with Dan. We go to the game in Seattle. We have the best weekend. We take Adam with us, who the movie's based on. We have the greatest weekend. We go to L.A. He drops me off. I start the process of writing the movie. Dan and I are like we're talking. And this is a guy who's busy. You know what I mean? He's a busy person. He owns Quicken Loans. He owns the Cavaliers. He owns Rock Financial. He owns Rocket Fiber. He owns 100 companies. But every night, he is calling me to talk about the movie. What do you think about this scene? What do you think about that? So, like, we just became super tight. And he flew me back to Detroit. And I wrote most of the movie while in Detroit. And I researched it by I went and stayed with Adam, who the movie was about. And just kind of saw how he lived his life and met the characters in his life, his parents, who my mom already knew from Detroit, and his brother, who we knew. And I, the whole point of the story is I got to be super tight with Dan, and I ended up going to a bunch of Cavs games throughout the years and just got to, like, pick the brain of a high-level, you know, billionaire who has done it on his own. 
And when I say that, he literally came out of Michigan State. He got a group of friends together, and they started cold calling people out of the white pages back in the day, a phone book, to give mortgages to people. And he built this thing from three, four, six friends to thousands of people. And now I just have to, by default, I have to cheer for the Cavs. And I'm down for the Cavs because of my relationship with Dan. And two weeks ago, was it two weeks, three weeks ago, I was in, Dan flew me to Cleveland for the game. Uh, Well, no, he flew, yeah, game seven against Indiana. So I didn't realize how much TV time I was getting at the game. I mean, I was was on the floor, sitting on the floor. (laughs) I got a text from my boy Chuck. He's like, good hat. He had a screenshot of me with my hat on sitting on the floor with the Cavs. And it was me, Dan's son, Nick, and Dan. And so bottom line is I want the Cavs to win. I'll bring it all the way full circle to the Cavs game last night, which was such a shitty ending yeah, I would to what was supposed to. Yeah, I to the league. What? If I were Dan, I'd complain straight to the league for that overturned call. Yeah. I mean, that's why I asked you. I said, who can he sue? To, at that game, like that was the that was those referees hate LeBron. Yeah. They hate the Cavs. Something is going on. That was the shadiest call I've ever seen in my life, and it turned what should have been the Cavs win. Although J.R. Smith really yeah. messed up. I mean, he had a Chris Webber moment. Exactly, calling like trying to run the clock. Didn't, had no idea what the score was, but but I still think the call was the deciding thing. The, the charge call because even when they reviewed it, it clearly showed. The foul was on Kevin Durant, and they still said it wasn't. Right. And the video shows that the refs just had no idea what they were doing at all. I want to know what that referee was saying to LeBron when LeBron was arguing and when he walked. Like, what could he have possibly said? He could, he, are you just that good of a liar that you could just look a dude in his eyes and just say some shit like that? I don't know. But Alexis loves sports. She can't stop thinking about sports. <laughs> She's so enthralled by the subject. That she's just, but yeah, we brought a. Let me just tell you this. All right, we're, we're jumping around a little bit, but I like I like ten sex, ten minute segments. I had to bring Alexis on because I'm one of these people who just goes by gut instinct, straight up gut, right? Like, if somebody says you gotta hire my friend, I go cool. I hire your friend. That doesn't have to be like a big vetting situation. It's almost like back in the day, Chris Rock and a special had that joke about like. Have you motherfuckers got your start from... That's a good impression. Uh, you know, have you people got your start from a friend? I'm going to give my cousin a job before a stranger. Whatever his bit was, it's the same It's the same theory. It's basically like, yeah, why am I going to go talk to 20, 10 people when a friend had a great experience with another friend? And nobody even vouched for you on anything. I just like you and your style at the comedy store. And I'm like, this girl's just funny. She told me, you know what? You guys need a lot of help with your social media <laughs> for stories that need to be told. What the fuck is wrong with your picture? You got to get new artwork. You got to get... I, did I say the artwork thing? Oh, no. Maybe that was somebody else. Yeah. Do you like our artwork? I mean, you guys can do better. Yeah, we need to step up our whole game. <laughs> the photos from like 50 years ago. Dang. But yo, you're a millennial, right? You're a millennial. Yeah, I, don't, I don't care how old you are, but you're just young. You talk young. You know what I mean? Like, you talk like money's falling out of your mouth. You, I, I, you know what I mean? I don't know your it's whole... not, but thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but, like, social... Your whole world is the social... Like, yeah. do you even look up at life, or you just... No, you're... I, like, look up. Right. But yeah. your, your your phone is your is a lifeline. 
you look at social media as a huge thing. This is like your world, your people that you came up with. You guys are big into it, right? Give me a couple things that we can do. Are there any Insta fixes that like me and Stock Tip can do to like pump stories that need to be told? Or do I need to just like keep go get on like all my boys' podcasts? And talk yeah, about. I think a little bit of that and just pro- like promoting your podcast and like having bigger guests on. Bigger than, I mean, Doug created yeah, it. Connelly, Doug, them, Saget, Brett, Brett Ernst. Having them the also president? just like maybe write that they were on the podcast to like promote it to their followers. Have they done that? Uh, Brett did on Twitter. That doesn't mean it does Yeah, it? no, they need to like, even if they just like put it on their Instagram story and just right. tag your podcast in it. And then that's your guys' job to put the link to your recent podcast in the bio of your podcast. Because people in this day and age are just lazy and they don't want to, like, go out of their way to, like, listen to something. If something pops up, then I'll be like, oh, so-and-so, you know, and I'll just click the link and watch it. I don't want to have to, like, go out of my way to, like, listen. Research. Yeah. I mean, Doug liked the pictures, but he didn't announce that. Even like you know, put on his Instagram page. Hey, check me out on the podcast. Yeah, I mean that's also going to happen with the bigger the guests. Yeah, the, like you know the Facinellis. The Facinellis, yeah. Alexis is very funny. She's she's in her early twenties, I assume. I don't even know. Twenty three. She's twenty three years old. She was just born. <laughs> she's in L A. She's doing comedy. She's hanging at the comedy store all the time. But all of a sudden, she's like, "I'm a guy going to Peter Facinelli's poker game." I'm like. How do you even find that? Like, I know how I found my famous friend circle. Like, I was in a basketball league 20-some years, 21 years ago. No, no. I was in a basketball league 19 years ago in the entertainment league because somebody at the comedy store asked me to go play on a team. I went and played on the team. My team was Leonardo DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire, Nick Cassavetes, Lucas Haas, and Connolly. And it was it was all, their friend Chuck asked me to go play basketball because he knew I could play. He was always coming around the comedy store. So my en- entrance into my friendships was that way, was through men's league basketball. And then the rest is basically history. Next thing I know, I'm on a private jet looking at Leo going, is this pot? Are we going to crash? What's going on? I've never been on anything like this. But Did you get vertigo from that? or Hell no. No, I didn't get vertigo from that. You don't get vertigo when you get told by Leo's assistant to be at the house because the truck's going to take you to the private plane (laughs) and there's going to be a girl there with a clipboard that tells you where to go when you land at the Palms Hotel for the grand opening and you're going to go up to a seven-bedroom suite that's already filled with girls when you get there and a DJ in the middle of the day and a fully stocked bar. That's anti-vertigo. I'll spin through the whole thing. That you don't get vertigo from that. You hold off all ailments until that's over, and that shit was going down. You know what I mean? Like that's a whole nother podcast. Like I told Conley, I said, "Bro, I owe you seven hundred thousand dollars in fun. Like, like if you can, if fun was money, I'd be retired." I mean, I agree because you know, like Blake said, I had my birthday party at Goal. He arranged it. One of the best I've ever had. Yeah, because he's a gentleman. You know what I mean? Connolly is a gentleman. There's a lot of actor dudes and people in this business that are just shitty. There's some shitty ass people in this business, but I feel like I got super lucky with my people that I'm friends with, that, that my crew, that they actually have tried to help each other out if they can. But nothing, you don't get any, anything for free. I'll tell you that. Like, you better be damn good at, at whatever it is you're trying to do before your friends should even help you. You know what I mean? 
So I don't ever like like I've heard some comedians. I have her. I'm not gonna ever name names, but like I've heard comedians be like, "Oh, so and so's blowing up big. He owes me. I put that dude on this show back in the day." It's like nobody owes you anything, literally, unless you save their life. They still don't owe you. Like yeah. if you save their life in a fire or you're drowning, which I've done twice, I've saved people. That's another podcast. Like I could say I, I owe you because you know. I, <laughs> Met all you guys just from walking into goal, and the next thing I know, I'm on the podcast with you. Yeah, so when your stock shit hits big, I want 3%. So, yes, <laughs> actually, you do owe us. But my point is, nobody's asking for anything back. We, we put you on because we like you. We want to give you a job and a, and, a, and a path. You know what I mean? We saw you lingering, drinking in the daytime at goal, giving stock tips. We knew that wasn't a life. We know you got more in the, in the tank than that, and, and you got skills that need to be applied. So we're, we're just looking out for you. You know, I appreciate it. You got it. You got it. But you know, point is, Hollywood's a, a weird town, and people—I never, ever have been like, "Yo, you owe me." Who owes anybody anything? You know, it's like—and Dan Gilbert, back to Dan, he's got this book called Isms that he gives everybody that works for his company, and like basically anyone that he meets, he just believes. It's basically a book of all these things that he's taken from, you know. All the leaders of around the world on plant, on, you know, and condensed it into like this little book. And his whole thing is like, if you're really good, if you just focus on what you're trying to do, like you want to be, you're a comedian, right? If you just bust your ass to be the best comedian, it's like a fire. You know what I mean? Shit's gonna come to the flame. Like things are gonna come at you. They're gonna come to you. And it's not the other way around. It's not like. You know, I got to go meet this person. I got to make that connection. What are you going to do with it? What if they say, yo, go do a half hour comedy. I'm bringing you on the road and you only got four minutes. You messed up. So point is be dope at whatever you're trying to be dope at. You know what I mean? And the only, like the one example I could think of from back in the day for me was I had like a thousand bucks left when I first moved here. I was done. I was just, I didn't know what I was going to do. 1500 maybe in the bank account. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was over. And I wasn't willing to go get another job. I was like, maybe I just go back to Detroit and just try rapping. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I took like $600 out of that 1500 And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to, I had 20 minutes of stand up and I had it taped live when I, I had like opened for like like 15 years ago. I opened. I was lucky enough to open for like Joe Rogan somewhere, and I recorded the set. I'm like, yo, I'm gonna take that recording. I'm gonna go into a studio for 30 bucks an hour. I'm gonna plug that into the studio. I'm gonna make that my comedy album. I only had 20 minutes of comedy for an, for my album. I called my friends who I had just met, the Bobby Lee, Jeff Richards, like all these dudes at the comedy store. I said, yo, will you guys come to the to the studio, please, and do sketches, like comedy sketches? So then I turned, like, the 20 minutes of comedy. Now I had, like, 35 minutes of, like, material on a comedy album. So then I saw, so I was still in the rap game. You know what I mean? I was still rapping. So I was like, oh, if I put my two rap songs on the comedy album, now I got, like, 40, 45, 40 minutes of, of material. Now it's almost like a legit album. So long story short... I put together like a 45-minute album. I took a picture of me as a baby going to the bathroom I cu- on the toilet <laughs> with sunglasses. I called the album Dropping Bombs. And I literally, I put it out. 
just on my own. I just let it go. I gave it to my friends who were working as assistants in management companies. I gave it to my boy Scott Venner, who was an assistant. Scott Venner was now the is, became the music supervisor of Entourage, supervises all Wahlberg stuff. I gave it to Venner, who was an assistant at Three Arts Management Company. This is years ago. I gave it to him. He's like, dude, this is we love this. He goes, my the guy I'm working for, Dave Becky, who's like the biggest manager now in the business. He goes, Dave Becky loves this, bro. You want to take a meeting? Of course I'll take a meeting. I go, <laughs> I take a meeting. I get signed by Three Arts. Dave Becky, put, Scott Venner, puts my, submits my DVD, my CD. By the way, it's a CD. It's not a DVD. It's a straight-up CD, audio. Submits it to the Montreal Comedy Festival for open, for uh, new faces. Yeah, just for laughs. Just for laughs. I get just for laughs off this one damn thing. I get just for laughs. I go to Montreal for my first time. They say, yo, you're going to do six minutes three times while you're there. Six minute sets. I'm acting like this six minutes is life and death. I'm doing wind sprints. I'm it in is, th- though. Yo, it was like I was literally in Montreal doing wind sprints in the morning, listening all day long on a dictaphone to my six minute set and just over preparing for what was going to be my six minutes. Did I stress myself out? unnecessarily maybe a little bit i learned later on just don't go so crazy to try to like hardcore remember because you'll mess up you got to find a balance but i did my first set in new faces i I got to i met tony rock there i met sam tripoli there i met butch bradley i met a bunch of dudes i became friends with for years i did my set i thought i had like an okay set i was so nervous that i just like plowed through it had a couple good hit moments but i was in shape feeling good and i got off stage and i was like okay that was okay i didn't feel great i didn't feel like i lit it on fire but warner brothers television was there and so i get off stage and dave becky comes right up to me and he's like yo warner brothers wants to talk to you i was like what do you mean i don't i don't know anything about anything at this time i was like all right i'll talk to warner brothers what do do they look like and (laughs) up comes you know it was like mostly female executives at Warner Brothers that were there. Maybe one dude, three women. They came up, and the one girl was like, you look like Ben Affleck. Like, I'm like, all right, I look like Ben Affleck. She's like, you could be the Ben Affleck of comedy. Ben Affleck hadn't done comedy yet. So I was like, man, this feels great. So Dave's like, listen, go out tonight, have a good time, go have fun in Montreal, and I'm going to talk to Warner Brothers. I think we're going to get you a development deal. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? I got $700 left, bro. Just tell me what you're talking about. And he's like, just don't worry. Go have fun. So I go out that night. I'm having the time of my life in Montreal. That's a great place. Yo, (laughs) stunningly beautiful French women everywhere. The Montreal Comedy Festival is one of the biggest festivals I've ever seen. The whole city has taken over. And I go to the party that night. I'm like, yo, Warner Brothers wants to talk to me. I don't know what that means. So... Oh, and my brother flew out from Detroit for support, to support me. So now my brother's there with me. We're having the time of our lives. So I'll never forget. We're at like the Montreal party, whatever, like the comedy big party that night. And, you know, before I was a comedian, I'm a social person. You know what I mean? I didn't have a problem talking, talking. So there's like smoking hot cage dancer. She's literally in the cage. (laughs) And the whole cast of Kids in the Hall are like hitting on her one at a time. Like they're all going up, they're hitting on her. Yeah, so the, and I'm a fan of the show. I don't know what it is. Kids in the Hall was a, a sketch comedy group before, oh, like a like a mad TV type of group. 
and they had their own TV show. It was hilarious. They're amazing. <laughs> and the kids in the hall were all hitting on her. And I was with Tony Rock or somebody, and he's like, yo, go talk to that girl. Long story short, I snatched her out of the cage like a, like a zoo. Like it was like a zoo. I took her out of the cage. We danced. I took her from the kids in the hall, and I ended up going home with her. And she barely spoke English. Of course, I was in a cab going back to her place. Had the greatest night ever in Montreal. I get a phone call at I get a phone call at one o'clock in the morning from Dave Becky. You got a deal. I said, What? He goes, You got a deal, bro. They're offering you seventy five thousand dollars. I said, don't say that shit to me. What are you talking about? He goes, They're offering you seventy five I had eight hundred left. He goes, They're offering you seventy five thousand. I go, take it. Take it. Thank you so much. Take it. I'll call my family. I'm not going to go home. I'm not moving back to Detroit. Just let's do it. He goes, no, no, I'm going to try to get you more. I'm like, now I'm panicking. I'm like, my, I tell my brother, you know, he says he's going to try to get more, but I hope he doesn't blow the deal. You know, little do I know, Dave is skilled in the art of deals, and he already knows that it's going to happen. I don't know. This is one in the morning. So I'm like, I order my club sandwich up to the room. I'm pacing around. I'm like, I can't believe it. I'm going to get $75,000. Changed my life. Not even going to think about a day job right now. And he calls back at like 145. He's like, yo, I got it up to $102,000. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. I, I've never, what does that mean? He's like, I'm telling you, we're locking in the deal. I said, you're telling me I can call my mom. I can call home. I can call my family and say, I don't need any money right now. I'm, gonna, I'm not moving back to Detroit. I'm going to be okay for a while. Call your mom. Tell her you got the deal. Boom. I called home. I was like, yo, I just got a deal for somewhere around $100,000 that they're telling me they're going to give me. And next thing I know, boom, it's in the trades. It's like, you know, comedian Mike Young signs a holding deal with Warner Brothers. And it changed my life. And from that, and that was 15, 16 years ago, whatever, I never thought about another job again. And obviously, taxes, you don't know about taxes. I mean, you know about taxes, but like you don't know what that's going to look like. So, you know, obviously, the, the 100000 when it was you have broken to up. You him out. Yo, I had to, you know, I get, you give a cut to your agent, you give your manager, and taxes. So, you know, you look at it at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I thought you said 100000 this says fifty one thousand. He's like, no, 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 or, or whatever it was, sixty thousand, whatever it was. Yeah. It was life changing, and the whole point of that is, if you just put your focus on being dope at whatever it is, money will come to you. And it's in Dan Gilbert's book that he has, the Ism book, and it's and what he says is, money doesn't, you money doesn't lead. It doesn't lead. Money follows. It follows you. So if you do something dope and you're really good, money is just going to come to you. So it's it's proven. Anytime I was like scared and like chasing money, I never got it. Yeah, you make a good point because I did actually see a quote online the other day. It was from Will Smith. It pretty much sums up what you just said. If you just like work hard, do what you do, just focus on yourself, and the right people will come to you and they will stay. Yeah, it's it's and I, I'm and I, I'm only saying that because I can tell you that straight up from experience. The all and now I've been. You know, I've been very lucky as far as like the writing side of things. And like every time, I don't care what the movie is, if I'm doing it, like I'm going all in on it. And I'm not the greatest writer in the world, but I am telling you, I'm leaving it all on the page. Like I'm going hard. I'm going, when I wrote Grounded for Gilbert, for, for Dan, 
for those guys, I, in my mind, I thought I was going to win. And I was like, oh, I just wrote the next Oscar winning. <laughs> I just wrote what I think is the best thing. And Emil Hirsch was going to play the part before Aaron Paul. And he came to me like, yo, I, you know, this is the greatest. He loved it. Point is, whenever you get shaky in this world, in this business, for any business, and you think you're scrambling, get back to yourself. Put your focus on whatever it is you think you want to do and just get better at it. Because believe me when I tell you, I didn't know in the beginning, I didn't understand like structure really great. But what my strength was, was like characters. Like I knew I I could get voices of characters and get in their soul and like I could write characters. So I had to work on structure majorly. You know what I mean? I had to buy every book on structure and you know, I would plagiarize great movies just like, you know, as an exercise point is just put the focus on what you're supposed to do and dan drills that into his people's head and he's drilled it into my head and anytime and there's been moments throughout like hiccups in my career for sure where you know i'm like oh man shit's getting low i start scrambling but if i get back to just the focus of the page people start showing up in your life and will smith is a thousand percent right i mean i mean and it's it's not like a trick yeah it's like some people come and go but if you're doing what you're supposed to, the right people will stay. Yeah, and it, it's not—it's not a trick either. It's not like a magical trick. It's—it's it's a law. It's like it really is something in the energy happens when you stay still, you dedicate and get—you know—you do something dope. Excuse me. People will come to you, and I've been scattered. You know, I'm—I'm I'm probably undiagnosed ADD. You know what I mean? Probably I'm diagnosed. You're diagnosed. <laughs> yeah. When did they diagnose you? You're eight years First old. First grade, yeah. And what? Your parents are like, uh, I Alexis can say the same is thing. same thing for me. First grade. But do you think They're you were for sure sooner and sooner now? It's like really scary. Yeah, but don't you think that's pill? Like, do you, this many? Do you think you truly couldn't focus at all in My school? My parents actually like didn't believe in that. Like, if you're putting a child on like Adderall, you're like basically putting like drugs in a child's system yeah like hardcore drugs and you went Adderall was your first drug in first grade I don't know if I took it in first grade but I definitely took it like growing up and I recently got it prescribed but it takes away like as like crazy as it sounds it takes away your creativity like I didn't feel like myself I wasn't writing I wasn't creating I was like being weird and anxious before I would like go on stage like makes you like a robot to be honest and I'm like I don't know how people take this and, like, function and have normal lives. That's exactly how I feel. Did you get off it? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it also, it takes a while to, like, completely get out of your system. system. I've talked to people about it. I mean, it's not, like, a good thing to put in your body. It's, like, dangerous. It's so funny you say that because, you know, as a writer, people are always like, yo, if you take Adderall, bro, you'll write for 12 hours. Well, guess what? couldn't think of anything, yeah. I don't want to, number one, I don't want to write for 12 hours. Number two... I don't want if you if you change the creative mind if you change the head of a creative person with like a, a numbing drug like something that puts you at robot level that doesn't help your writing if you give me energy just to stay awake to write the shit I'm gonna write is probably not gonna be great you know what I mean so I'll take a little bit of the, my imbalance and my up and down and my my ability to only write for like I can only write for three hours at tops so you know what I mean I can only go hard for three hours after that i gotta take a walk and I, I don't know you know some of these people have these brains that can go forever and ever but i'm a fast writer i get a lot done in three hours but 
people have like handed me. I have Adderall. I've never taken it. I have it. Yeah. There's I girls was. in the streets that would fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they massage me for seven days for Adderall. There are people in the streets looking for Adderall. It's I, best, and I've seen it. Stuff. I've seen it change people's personality. I'll always know because I have friends who take it, and I'll always know. Like I'll be like, "Oh, are you on Adderall right now?" Because it also makes people agitated. Yes, it does. I, I was. I, I would get so angry at like stupid shit. I was right. like dating a guy at the time. I would just like freak out at him, and I'm like, "What? Who am I now?" Right, and that's real chemistry shit. Yeah, because you go from fun and personality to, like she said, a robot. It takes away your personality. You get it's agitated. Amphetamine. It's like it's horrible. I stay so clear of it. Did it, were you on it for a long time before you understood? Yeah, like like I I was on it like you know when I was like like she said like first grade. Yeah, that's heavy shit, man. That's a that's a I mean listen that's a, that's a, that's a month long podcast. You want to talk about the pill industry? <laughs> but anyway, we got to wrap it up. As I was just told, uh, Alexis, you're gonna help us out with yeah. some social media, please. Right, Alexis Grossman. Yeah. Where can we find you? People on are, Instagram. What is it? Alexis Grossman? Alexis is a gross man. Look at that. She's already <laughs> witty, killing it with the slow, spoiled wit. Alexis is a gross man. At Alexis is a yeah, gross man. Yeah, just like it sounds, yeah. Just like it sounds. <laughs> At Stock Tip Dave, you find Stock Tip Dave. This is Mike Young. At The Real Mike Young. Stories that need to be told. Uh, I'll see you guys. Me and Saget, me and Bob Saget, we're coming to Portland. We're coming to Irvine, and we'll be in Florida at the Coco Casino near Lauderdale, June 23rd. So we'll see you there. Oh, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You jealous? Yeah, I have a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Did you grow up with his daughters? No. I met Bob at like a bar mitzvah a couple years ago. <laughs> that should be the name of your series. I met Bob at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> All right, yo, stories that need to be told. All Things Comedy Network, we're out. Peace. Take me back when I was a kid. Take me Never back. Never had now. to worry about what I did. The one time I'm a man two. now. What's Check the plan it out. Now. Gotta the get it down. Sound. No time for fun down now. now. Take me back uh, when I was a one, kid. Two. Never had to worry about what back. I did. Coming back for you. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? now?